Oh, hi there. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Star Wars Report podcast. I'm your host uh, for this week's episode, Riley Blanton. So glad you've joined us and uh, got a bit of an unusual slash special episode for you guys. Um, for you long time and loyal listeners, you know, we, u- we usually release on Mondays, but we've got a special treat for you this week coming a little late because we were just coming back from Dragon Con. Which was, as always, an absolutely amazing time. Um, I got to, I reunited with Bruce and Bethany and a bunch of other uh, Star Wars Report uh, affiliated friends and family uh, at Dragon Con. We had a great time. Did a bunch of different panels and stuff. So um, this is a special presentation of the Military Themes in Star Wars panel, which uh, was so much fun to do. I hosted it, and we had... Um, uh, Bethany was on it, as well as John Lang, Brandy Blanton, uh, Thomas Harper. We had a great time, uh, and it was um, it was in some interesting discussion. The theme of the episode is all about uh, the First Order versus the Empire, and kind of a comparison and contrasting of the two organizations. We get down and dirty and nerdy about it at Dragon Con, and yes, I do know the difference between Gideon Hask and Del Miko. It's just a lot of pressure hosting a panel. Anyway, you guys have figured it out. <laughs> All right, on with the panel live from DragonCon. Thank you so much. Hey, guys. Welcome to the uh, Military Things Star Wars panel, First Order versus Empire. Edition. There's so many porks now. Um, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'm Riley White, and I'll be moderating today. That's fine. Um, I did a Star Wars Report podcast and a bunch of other Star Warsy stuff, but I actually want to go down the far end to Brandy and have everyone come do a quick introduction on themselves, a little bit about uh, your Star Wars fandom history and your <laughs> affinity with the military uh, in one way or another. Okay, so hello, my name is Brandy. Um, I have no affinity with the military except for that my master's thesis, uh, my master's is in terrorism and political violence. Um, this also goes into my Star Wars connection. Uh, my thesis was on um, terrorism in Star Wars and how uh, the terrorist themes in uh, the Star Wars film um, affect our perception of terrorism as a whole. I know a lot of people last year requested to read my thesis and I was really bad I didn't send it out. So what I'm going to do this year is post the link to it in Google Drive in the Facebook group after this weekend. Um, as far as like my experience in the Star Wars fandom, I literally do not remember the first time I saw the movies. I've like grown up with it. So whenever anyone's like, if you could live in a fictional universe, which one would it be and why? It would definitely be Star Wars. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Andy Dykes, and um, I also have no affiliation with any military whatsoever. <laughs> We're doing well so far. Um, <laughs> um, I'm a rocket scientist. I fly uh, satellites for a living, um, commercial telecommunication satellites. Uh, they, I was telling these guys earlier that you know, in any statistically in any given room, I'm the Star Wars expert. When I come into this room, I'm like. I'm down here because we got you guys and these guys, but they still want to hear me talk about Star Wars. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, my Star Wars fandom, the funniest thing about it is that Return of the Jedi, um, the first time I, I saw it and the first hundred times I saw it was on VHS. My parents had recorded it off an HBO free weekend or whatever. <laughs> they were really nice in that they paused during the commercials, right? Um, which is great because you didn't have to see that. I don't know why they had commercials, but whatever. Anyway, they paused after uh, there was a commercial between when they start to fly into the Death Star and they forgot to unpause. <laughs> So for the first 
however many times I saw that movie, I never saw the part where they actually fire the shots that destroyed the Death Star. I just saw Lando out? coming out going, yeah! And I was like, all right, well, they, they, they did it. They were like, successful. You're like, and then I finally me. saw the whole thing, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. Um, uh, yeah, so I am Bethany Blanton, not not related to Brandy Blanton, although we're working on that, and uh, am related to this one over here. Yeah. Blantons are taking over the world, Blanton. starting Three with this Blantons panel. On this yeah, panel. yeah. Hello. We had to like uh, separate each other so that we don't fight too much. But um, yeah, so I have been a Star Wars fan for a number of years. I've been coming to Dragon Con for a number of years as well. The Phantom Menace was my first movie. Oh. And yeah, yeah. I'm wait, waiting for the even spaces of yays and boos. And like, yeah, but I loved it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I am actually an Air Force officer. So I do have some relation to <laughs> the military. Is. There yeah. Is yeah. First yeah. One. <laughs> um, I'm an intelligence officer working uh, space threats in California. So I'm living as close to Star Wars as I possibly can. Space Force? Yeah. Are you until, Space Force? Maybe. Until DOD steals <laughs> yes. space from the Air Force. Yeah. <laughs> John, let's jump down to you. Hey, do Hi, I'm John Liang. I'm uh, been a Star Wars fan for God knows how many years. Um, I'm a, uh, during the day. I'm a journalist. I cover the Pentagon and how DoD spends uh, 500 billion dollars a year gets in buying weapon systems like guns, cannons, ships, you name it. And uh, saw Star Wars in '77 when it first came out, but really became a fan when the when I read the novelization two years later. She was excited to have it. <laughs> I'm Thomas Harper. I write and podcast for a site called The Legal Geeks. If you guys are familiar, if, if you saw the court martial of Poe Dameron that we did out in San Diego, um, I put him away yeah. for his yeah. many crimes. It was awesome. Yeah. It was legit. He's gone to, he's gone to Rurapente in the Star Wait. Trek universe for 10 years. Oh. Um, yep. Okay. These days, oh. like my Star Wars origin story is less important I, than my brand new daughters. We we had a baby uh, about three months ago, and so now my struggle is, you know, <laughs> pediatricians will tell you not to park a child in front of a TV, <laughs> but that's where Star Wars is. So <laughs> it's a, it's a constant battle. I'm uh, an army officer. I'm a JAG officer, uh, almost a major. The army selected me, but. They haven't Almost given me the paperwork. Yeah, it's it's weird how they work like that. Um, <laughs> I'm still a captain, and then I become Major Tom, and I become just a joke. Yes. Nice. We just call you Captain Eternal was Light. the rank I wanted. Like that's the cool yeah. rank. Like Tom Hanks is a captain in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Like Captain Pierre. Picard. Yeah. Also. Yeah. And then you know Major is like the most use, useless rank in the army. So <laughs> anyhow, that's that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, I'm also a uh, second in the Air Force. I'm also Blanton, and I'm also an intelligence officer. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even like each other that much either. Um, here we are. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm stationed out in Texas and having a great time doing it. But I'm excited. Oh, so many Texas jokes I want to do. But we're going to talk a lot about the military themes in Star Wars, but with a particular focus today, we're going to talk about the Empire and the First Order, kind of talk a little bit about a comparison. But the way I like to start us off is talk about the Battle of Hoth. Can you push the computer that way so that we can see it a little bit? Cool. Let's, uh, That's some good pictures, man. By the way, my favorite Star Wars battle, so I had to actually play, but here, let's go. I believe in you. 
You just brought a little light blaster to a ATAT fight. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody's still walking there. What? Like, where's the hustle? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Move it, move it, move it. Move with a sense of purpose, Airman. Well, that's the first the report they had of walkers, so, okay. There's an ad. There's an ad. What's gonna happen? No. Is he gonna die? What's funny is that as we're playing the clip, I was um, researching it. Like, if you guys have ever seen the old Battle of the Bulge movie, um, there's like the idea of the binoculars and stuff in the ground battle. Oh yeah. Warfare. It's just yeah. like so. I think it's because like a New Hope has the World War II fighter combat, but this is where you kind of get the test warfare. At some point, you're going to pause this clip, and I'm just going to want you to keep it going. So, like, we can just spend the hour watching Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody would leave here and be like, that was the best panel ever. (laughs) (laughs) The panelists introduced themselves, and then we watched the movie. Yeah. Actually, sounds like a great idea. Not the worst. So, all right, Battle Path. Especially, it's, that's how we just jump straight to you. So when we look at the Battle of Hoth, it's sort of the showcase of the Empire's might. This is where we see the Empire at its, at its full strength. Do you have a different perspective watching it um, post-military career now versus when we're watching it growing up? First of all, the Empire should be down on their knees thanking General Veers that he (laughs) exists and that he decided to serve his galaxy and his emperor uh, by becoming a ground commander. And and second... (laughs) And second, General Veers should be demanding to know why they had no air cover. Yes! Yes! These are the first two things that I think of. Where's and the I don't know, force? I don't know who runs the Twitter account at you know Veers Watch, but if you're if you're on Twitter and you're not following Veers Watch, awesome. you should. His sole existence. You don't know Veers Watch? Seriously? He's committed to he's the appearance the of General Veers and everything. So he'd be he'd be happy that we're we're starting off this panel on the right foot. Well, all right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost like uh, front right and back left foot. It's it's almost like uh, our obsession with. General Veers is mutual because <laughs> the, the, the one sequence, um, let's see, there, the, the, there we go. There's one. <laughs> I'm not moving on from this. <laughs> you guys, like, for, for a complex, in depth tactical look at the. No, I'm talking about General Veers because the, the, the moment in, the, in Empire when you have the, the, the officers talking, invaders walking up, it's like, the rebels are there. And, um, you know, my lord. There are so many uncharted <laughs> And then you just general beers are sitting there stoically it's like You're gonna argue with Vader. No. Really? No. 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 Really? No. Rebels are there. General Beers, you're a competent officer who knows what he's doing for Pegramen. And um, that's, yeah, I'm absolutely in love with Beers. But it's interesting, like, there's a leadership dynamic there that is very much straight out of military and a lot of, like, old World War II films. Bethany, you want to talk a little bit about the dynamic of military leadership in the Empire? 
Yeah, so what's what's interesting to me is that when you're in the military, you you always have those people who <laughs> Yeah, who who it, it, the, their intentions are the best, uh, but they're questioning orders in a time or place that's not necessarily the correct time or place to do so. And one, and when you do that, <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, when you do that to a resistance officer or leader, she's going to throw you in the brig. But when you do that to Vader, he's just going to be like, "I'm going to kill you now." Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, there's always that moment of. What are you? What are you doing? Just, just stop. It's Lord Vader. Just stop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how? And looking back at uh, how well organized were they really? Was it because everyone? I especially going back and rewatching it, I was like, I'm not sure the imperial strategy here was as solid as I thought it might. Yeah, well, you know, and 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 even with the um, the reverting from hyperspace at not Vader's favorite time, you know, and you got that. So I don't know how how organized were not very, but the the leadership dynamic that I was gonna we're still talking about Hoth. I can make yeah, it Hoth. Yeah. I can make it Hothy. But we we both have leadership <laughs> things that we want to talk about. Yes, so no, yes, we'll get right to it. Um, the the Empire, and I'm going to bring the First Order into this too. Yeah. The the Empire. Oh my gosh, they've had time to build up. You know. They have officers. They have leadership. I learned a new word and a crossword on my way to Dragon Con that the high-ranking officers brass hats. I did not know that. I did not know that term before. But they are experienced. Like they know what they're doing. Yeah. Whereas in the First Order, mm, not so much. Like they've got they've got this leadership that's not. They yeah. how, how did they get there? I don't know. But the other thing that the Empire has that the First Order never had and probably never well will we don't know i don't know um is uh palpatine's battle meditation yeah and he you know uh, it's one of the things that i really like from the eu that uh, you learned about palpatine was controlling everything everything and it's not as uh, as evident in hoth as uh, in hoth as it is uh over um indoor but i want to we'll come back to that later but that's the funny thing about um can i add one more thing it's 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 funny to see that comparison of like looking ahead at the first order of how yeah. <laughs> yes at the yes at, yeah at the same time like like Bethany was saying uh, you if you look at how Vader ran his ship how he ran it you either do it what he says or you die yeah. so it, there was very like very little uh, improvisation like anytime when someone goes into battle the battle plan goes straight to hell the minute the first shot is fired yeah so you've got that versus you've got like the the first order like you know Adam, uh, Captain Kennedy you know he if he had his way he would have deployed his TIE fighters way the heck sooner than anybody else one of the only remaining like well experienced yeah the yeah. well experienced yeah. uh, leaders that was still in the first order and what you know he wasn't allowed to <laughs> yeah exactly right <laughs> that's one of the that's one of the distinctions when we talk about leadership in both the first order and the empire you've got this sort of patronage system that, mm. that underlies their entire rank structure. So while you do have folks that are born and bred officers that have grown up in the system like Aviers, you've also got jackholes like Mahdi who got their position by virtue of their family, their their position in life and whatnot. Hux, and so Hux, Hux, Hux. <laughs> and the first order looks at looks at that entire system and like the wreckage of it and they're like I like that part of it. And then that's why you see folks like, you know, Captain Peavy aboard uh, Hux's ship, why you see folks, um, um, why am I blanking on his name? You just said it. 
Oh, this, Kennedy, Kennedy, thank you. This doesn't bode well for trivia tonight. Um, like Kennedy, who are sitting there, they do have the experience. They fought in the last war, and they just can't stand that they're under yet again under working in a system that's just not built for them. With a war, sorry, with a with a war machine that they know how to employ. Like that that dreadnought was brand new. Like the uh, I don't remember the class name but whatever the dreadnought was brand new with those those cannons he knew what to do with it he knew what to do with his tie fighters and everything but he had to <coughs> hux. Uh. yeah yeah, yeah so, general hugs. Well, and, and, and so, and let's let's talk a little bit about like let's keep the comparison going. So, with Crate, tactically speaking, very similar similar to Hop, and in some ways similar outcome. What are the I don't know what are the major differences? Randy, you want to talk a little bit about the Battle of Crate in comparison to Hop? Well, just one thing that always hits me: this how visually similar the two are. Yeah. It like I kind of like I go back and forth on. Uh, the Last Jedi as to whether it's like totally a ripoff, but I feel like this particular battle is um, I'm a li- I can't remember what's the air support. Um, the yeah, significant yeah, yeah. There's air support. Let's go round. Very good air support. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they really hate that ship. Send them all. <laughs> F- funny how the but, the one guy with no officer training is the one that makes that decision yeah. and sends them off. Yeah. But I feel yeah. like that's that entire battle is sort of a sort of a wreck because they are only focusing on individual um, battle armorets of the rebels. Like I'm also thinking about the fact that you know Kylo is very much like everyone attack Luke at the same time, which is yeah. not a yeah. smart decision militarily. Yeah, yeah. Very that's putting it mildly. I know that's putting it mildly, <laughs> but still. Here's the here's what I'm realizing the common thread is a lot of really stupid mistakes on both parts. Like, like look back at Hoth and Vader. Uh, the, what's the objective to destroy the rebel yeah. alliance? Except Vader's objective's different, and so you have this like the personal thing getting in the way. He's yeah. looking for Luke Skywalker, so what does he do? Goes to the base that they need to destroy. Right. So you, unless you want to bomb your own commander, <laughs> yeah. it's going to yeah. make it very hard to to get rid of. The same thing applies to Crate. Yeah. It becomes the, the I don't know the personal distraction. But I don't know. Well, yeah. yeah, Vader also takes himself out of the fight. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so yeah. Well, he's not leading that's, it. That's the problem with having a military leadership structure where there is no proper time and place to appropriately question yeah. orders because Vader will kill you. Kylo's just going to scream at you until you do it. Throw you against the wall. Or throw you against the wall, yeah. Uh, or like slash things up. <laughs> and so it's, I mean, if, if I were a military officer under any of those things, I'd be like, yes sir, shutting up and coloring yesterday. When you, you see that exact <laughs> thing happen when uh, Hux questions Kylo's yeah. command and gets thrown against the wall and then what does his shuttle pilot do but says, right, right away, away sir. sir. Yeah. <laughs> right, and and the point that I was going to make, you guys, you and and John make a good point about uh, this this the, the side effects of this structure in the real world and in I think any functioning military um, skill should be rewarded with promotion and whatnot, and that doesn't always happen, right? But that's not always what Merit. you see. Yeah. Meritocracy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, it doesn't always work flawlessly in the real military, but that's a huge problem that both the Empire and the First Order share, because for officers, for every Kennedy and Veers that are uh, distinguishing themselves by competence and tactical genius, there's a Hux who's getting by based on, you know, either birthright or you know some other connection yeah his dad 
Yeah, and yeah. I, yeah. how many yeah. folks in here watch Rebels, the Star Wars Rebels? Yeah. How many of you guys Ooh. saw the the episode where they they finally had the big showdown above Adalon, and good old Admiral Constantine in the interdictor <laughs> sits there and listens to to Grand Admiral Thrawn say, "Stick to your spot. Your job is solely to maintain an interdictor field and keep the rebels from escaping to hyperspace." And what does Constantine say? But nope, this is my chance to impress the Emperor, and he gets rammed by June Sato. And then you know the rebels escape. And so. similarly, in um, uh, aftermath, Empire's end. I it's the second year in a row that I've ended up. I'm to the like the last few minutes of that book, I, audiobook, um, uh, before this panel. So I'm remembering it. But the one star destroyer captain panics and he literally turns left and and he takes the Starhawks out. He got lucky, but he, he rammed his Star Destroyer into another ship accidentally because he panicked. And, you know, it's like, how did you get there? How did you become the captain of a freaking Star Destroyer where you panic and then you turn left? By Jack who it was process of elimination. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 Well, and the, let's talk a little bit about the tech because, you know, we're talking a little bit about Craig and a little bit about Hawk. The, um, it seems like the First Order at least has some, some more innovations on the technology, the miniaturized Death Star tech, for example, shields on the TIE Fighters. Um, mm. Are they at an overall advantage there? Yes. <laughs> but it, again, it's it's a matter of scale, right? They yes. take all of it's it's like they looked at all of the lessons learned by the Empire, by whether it's the CIS or the the Republic, and they're like, let's make it bigger. Yeah, like yeah. let's just increase the size a little bit and learn none of the the actual tactical lessons learned, and and and, and yeah. somehow learn how to fire a laser through hyperspace, which is apparently what the um, um, Star Killer Base yeah. did. It, it was suck it out, suck the energy from a sun. Yes, and and yeah. throwing it through hyperspace, but you could still see it as right. it passed overhead. Yeah. Deep really details. Yeah. Lens flare. I'm waiting for the cut of the film. Where they sorry, this isn't the science track. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> It's like playing at the Senate building on Hosnian Prime. Like, Wait, this was a poor choice. What was Leia's, Leia's chief advisor's name? I don't know. We see her. Oh, on, yeah. I don't. Thank you. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm seeing. I'm hearing that song playing behind them at the whatever gathering. That yeah. Oh, no. Black old so son. Sad. Like the whole so actual bad. sun. <laughs> so mean. Sucks. It's not. It's not all right. No, it's not. Oh man. That's, That's not good. Um, and, well, but after I mean, Starkiller Base fails, but now it's sort of uh, we move forward to the Last Jedi. First Order has a little bit maybe better of a command structure here, and that it is it's mobile. And uh, that, I, well, it makes a little bit more sense for what they're doing at the time, tactically speaking, which mm-hmm. is very different than the old empire um, because they're now the expanding aggressor organization. Thomas, trying to move I don't want to like trash the first order too much because they they have clearly learned some lessons. Like look no further than their Tie Fighter fleet to to yeah. understand that they've realized that just throwing away scores of pilots not only wastes resources but it kind of alienates folks and maybe makes you not want to get into a bucket <laughs> a like that. Yeah. And you know so when you. It, it, what I can't square is like you make a chain you're willing to make a change on your starfighter fleet that makes it more survivable and and deadlier and more effective in combat 
but then you learn none of the lessons on the capital ship front. Because if you think about think about that chase in The Last Jedi that, that occupies the center of the movie, had they invested in a fleet that not only was mobile, but was actually quick as opposed to just being a sledgehammer, I, you know, I think that would have been a very short movie. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. It, it ends above Dakar. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, the, the, this is the slowest chase scene in history. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this is what the first order is basically doing. And and somehow there was gravity involved in their laser fire. Hey, this is not the space. Oh, yeah. again. Stop sciencing. <laughs> this isn't rocket science. <laughs> or, well. Satellites talk about science. Also, okay. did we, they talk about Crate. They talk about Crate being a, a like a rogue planet, right? No, just an off-world, like a off-the-beaten-path kind of planet, I think. Okay, it was, okay, because I always read it as a rogue planet, and then I wondered why it had daylight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, man. Well done, sir. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on from that... So one thing I think that the the reason why the force, First Order hasn't improved as much as it probably should have is because both the First Order and the Empire are relying on, I'm trying to save us, <laughs> are, are, are trying to rely on the fact that they are uh, technologically superior. They, they feel superior. And in the, in the case of the Empire, they 1,000% are. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have to, uh, you don't have leaders who are saying, man, I don't have enough resources. I really need to innovate. I need to listen to the people who are really smart, who've proven themselves, and so their leadership structure gets a little bit too clunky and a little bit too laid back and a little bit too willing to be like, throw the fleet, because that solves all problems. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing that the, the, the First Order has in very much common with the Empire is this sort of pseudo-theocracy. It's mm. like this sort of super, and, it, and it's, it's weird, especially as I was thinking about it, looking back at... Um, the original trilogy, because it's almost like there's two empires. There's the the religious yeah. uh, evil, the, you know, the, the sort of grand story that is the good versus evil, and then you just have the, the military faction, which seems kind of separated a little bit, but in the First Order, they seem to play straight into the sort of extremist view of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that and that and I think your 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 point about there being the two different empires that that's a good one because and, and it's one that we talk about a lot. I don't think we talk about it in those terms, but you know the the folks that are like oh the you know Luke killed millions of like contractors and stuff that were just on the Death Star to do their job, you know, or the soldiers that are just they're whatever stormtrooper the, Joe, yeah, stormtrooper Joe, right? And then you have again we get up to the the leadership level. Um, and you have something completely different with completely um, left-handed. What's the word? Uh, anyway, um, a sinister uh, motive. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> sinister motives and and stuff. And but they don't have any choice but just to follow the orders. And they're a different. It's, a, it's almost a different. You're right. It's a different uh, thing, which doesn't exist in the first order at all. It seems to me. And you've yeah, also got in the first order. You got the. Uh, Stormtroopers themselves, they're taken when they're young and indoctrinated at mm-hmm. a very young age by Hux and Hux's dad versus in the, the original trilogy. We really don't know how they become yeah. Stormtroopers. It's not like do, are they, do they get like an enlistment? Well, maybe we do because we saw part of it in, uh, in, in Solo. So, yeah. So, oh, true. So, yeah. And that definitely plays into theocracy, yeah. being yeah. raised yeah. Yeah. that way. Think yeah. about how the Empire was sold. Like This has a bigger 
impact and a bigger deal than I think a lot of folks realize. And, and it's partially because we just haven't seen a lot of insight into that distinction. I, I think particularly with the Empire, how many folks have played the Battlefront 2 single-player yeah. mm-hmm. campaign? Mm-hmm. So if you are out there and you think that the average Imperial soldier has any clue that like who Palpatine is and, and whatnot, um, I encourage you to play just, you know, the mission three in the single player, just find somebody that's completed it. Cause think about how the empire was sold at the end of Revenge of the Sith. This wasn't to be a thousand years of peace brought by a Sith Lord or a force wielder. It was Chancellor Palpatine. He just got kind of scarred up and, you know, because of the Jedi. Uh, you know, at the core of that was Compnor and the New Order, which is this law uh, and order-based system. Uh, they just happen to achieve that through strength. And so you've got a lot of normal military folks that buy into that, uh, that ideology. And in Battlefront, the reason I bring that up is you see a born and bred Imperial soldier in, in Del Mico, a guy that worked his way up through the stormtrooper ranks, served as a shore trooper, and he ends up on Pilio and, and has a mission with uh, Luke Skywalker. And he comes to realize, I won't spoil the entire mission, but he comes to realize that perhaps the, the Empire and the Emperor himself had a little bit more going on than just what was the, the, yeah. what was sold to them, and I think that that has a profound impact on him and shapes his arc going forward in the game. Um, and and I think it absolutely would have an effect on on the empire at large. For sure. I mean, and it has the the vision, and again, I'm going to pile on because I only just recently played it, so I'm not super late to the party. But like <laughs> the, the striking visual of seeing Inferno Squad looking up through the beautiful forest Vendor up in the sky and seeing the you know Death Star and the entire crumbling it's just a very striking image that's a totally different perspective when, and think about how that plays out think about how you know if you've seen any of the the materials post return of the jedi pre the force awakens the emperor they watch as the emperor uh you know puts in into place operation cinder which is his plan not to save the empire but to burn it down except for a very small portion right yeah. think about if you're just a line soldier like the stormtrooper joe or whatever we call it <laughs> and you're like guy. wait a minute like wait we gotta do what? I'm from Naboo, like, and, and that's exactly what happens to Inferno, Inferno Squad as mm. they they watch Vardos burn. Um, mm. and, and, you know, think about that and, and the the impact. I think that's where the distinction really matters because when you're you've got a religious zealot at the head of your organization, <laughs> yeah. bad things can happen. Yeah. Well, and a key difference between uh, the Empire and the First Order is that in A New Hope we see the Emperor start to really push the Empire and his command. You know, they're they're dismantling politics they're strong arming significantly more and you have vader walk in and force choke an imperial officer who doesn't believe and from that point onward the imperial like high command all of the general officers they know that they can't cross vader and they can't cross the emperor and they just do what they say whereas in the first order when snoke is around uh snoke recognizes the benefit of having somebody who's not a religious zealot uh, around and that's that is actually although Hux is not the greatest of leaders he at least counters Kylo's <laughs> rather <laughs> yeah he has the best command voice ever it's pronounced yeah. hugs <laughs> <laughs> but like at least they they can balance each other to a degree in a way that uh, by the time a new hope comes around nobody can do that with Vader or the Emperor it, it was it was interesting that there is I just realized that well 
realized it before, but it came up that there was this a similar a parallel um, with uh, Vader and Tarkin, um, as with Hux and Kylo Ren. Um, so, it, and and then inevitably one of them gets <laughs> removed, and then all of a sudden you have a Force wielder, a, a theocrat. Um, situation going yeah. on. So, yeah, that is one of the most interesting parts uh, set up for episode nine is what that dynamic looks like yeah. now that God has his. <laughs> it's, and if only the Star Wars track had an episode nine speculation panel. If only. But yeah, this is this is it's an interesting discussion because John talked a little about this. Like the line that um, I'm thinking of is just, you know the Imperial Senate you know, is no longer a concern of ours. <laughs> And this sort of unvarnished, unchallenged rule of the Empire that even at the end of A New Hope, the first thing we learn in Empire, and then all the way through Jedi until the very end, is that it's it's sort of unstoppable force, and the dynamic's very different with the First Order. It's almost like, it, it's it's hard, not harder to root, but it's not the sort of like underdog fight that, that we saw in the original trilogy as much. No, they basically, t- they took, they decapitated the government in one fell swoop. Yeah. So the, from there on in, they're pretty much it. There's in the, and the, there's, there, even the resistance has basically been whittled down to a complete little bitty bitty piece of nothing. So for anybody to take, to, the only I mean, people who are- There's some hut cartels that are probably more powerful. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, the, all the scum and villainy of the, of the galaxy is probably in, better, in a better situation than anybody else right now. So you, if you look at them, okay, they, they're gonna start, you know, uh, taking taking control of their systems because no one else is around to police it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Come to the crime and politics panel tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I, I'm gonna uh, cut to a slightly lighter note. Style points. Because let's be honest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Krennic man. Capes. Krennic. Capes. Uh, let's Bethany. Do you want to start our, our fashion commentary here? Empire First Order. Which one do you like more? Let's. First Order. Capes. I mean, look at look at that. Mm. I mean, that's a pretty sweet overcoat. Yeah. I wish, I wish, man, I wish, I wish the Air Force. Listen, what's Air funny is, like, literally, Air Force is just changing policy on their uniform, going to the OCPs. Yeah. This is again military nerdery. Going to the OCPs, which is like the Universal Army deployed uniform, more comfortable, but definitely not the like fuzzy overcoat comfortable. I want, that's what I want issues. So you want so, the poopy suits? Yeah. So I'm working in uh, the Space Command AOC right now. Uh, lots of acronyms, but basically we do space stuff. So when the Space Force gets announced, everybody is like, oh my gosh, Space Force, what does this mean? Let's talk about uniforms. It's going to be a black flight suit. It's going to be lit up. We're going to have like galaxy constellations as patches that light up. Oh, yeah. Priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Oh, what's the uniforms? So one thing that really strikes me about the uniform yeah. difference is that the first order uniforms to me seem to be more black the tones are a lot darker Um, which one thing that I've always thought about with that is that maybe it's Kylo trying to force that Darth Vader look on everyone else because he was the Mm -hmm. only one in black before darker Uh, darker, and he is a style queen yeah yeah (laughs) I just can we have a a video somewhere where we have Kylo like slow motion just hair flips everywhere getting out of a pool (laughs) shampoo commercial thing I mean we already have a shirtless so because you mentioned first order and also they really double down on like the Nazi Nazi yeah Yeah. the high boots and everything everyone seemed like the imperial officer kind of Nazi uniform but like I was I was struck at just how much and speaking of our hero Del Nico um, like just how much the first (laughs) order that's Gideon Oh, yeah, sorry. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> Careful. Gonna come out after you. <laughs> She's just about to kill you, die. Like, hey, like, so you should move. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
yeah, the SS uniform reminded me so much of the First Order style, where they really doubled down. I was like, let's just let's go more evil. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, like the SS of of all of the Nazis, you like. You're you're gonna model your uniform not just not just any Nazi uniform but straight for the SS. That's kind of a, a terrifying comparison. Yeah, I'm not a um, fan of the little wings on the hat. I saw that. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's I, is yeah. he the flash? It looks like a food or, or like yeah. you could just like set a bowl yeah, carefully up there. I will say that, that General Hux, um, you know, for all his warts, has proven that uh, in getting thrown around repeatedly by <laughs> Snoke and, and Kylo, that that overcoat is very good as a mop. So I guarantee you, <laughs> the, the floor on the finalizer is spotless. <laughs> <laughs> he probably like has it really well padded because he's just gone through this for how who knows how long. Little airbags. Yeah, it's like. So there's an interesting theme that I I really just noticed um, that where wherein the first order is far more uh, far more like like uh, Nazi Germany like and, and you yeah. see that in in uh, the speech yes. on board before the first firing of the uh, Star Killer base um, and all this other stuff and they are definitely doing that that way of honoring their their uh, leadership but in the empire it's far more of a royal kind of like when you think of vader and the emperor coming on board you know they're they're coming off their shuttles and they have their respective guards or lineups of stormtroopers which the lineups in the original one of course they were not quite as many but you know um it's far more royal than it is um it's still dictatorial, but not like not like yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It does have, they really double down on like the totalitarian fascist style, and especially like and the moment I really first realized that oh we're really turning it up to eleven mm-hmm. was the Huck speech, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is yeah. just like. Uh, the, that, that was pretty epic. Heavy like, like, spittle flying, yeah. screaming, like yeah. Star Wars is so subtle. With <laughs> <laughs> Just really nuanced. Well, and I think that's where that's what helps blend the First Order's leadership and military style, where that sort of the extremist faction is is the First Order, and it's not like mm. the two. Mm-hmm. It's not like the Imperial two separate things. Because you know, with Vader and the Emperor, and like if you look at Return of the Jedi in that final the final duel there you know, the dark lighting and the, mm. the evil cackling the, the, it's just, it is like an epic it, you know it's an epic John, uh, Joseph Campbell kind of tale whereas the, um, the, the, the the other side of the military is just trying to get the, the job done this is something that I'm kind of thinking about right now. Maybe another difference between the Empire and the First Order is imperialism versus fascism. I don't know if that's just like a style yeah. in style, but also in like yeah. ruling, like their sort of governing principles. Yeah. yeah, well, and and also like because the First Order is just, it, it is yeah. that more extreme turned up to 11 element that it just, it, it, you, you don't get much more subtle than the, the giant, like it, even the, the, the imagery of like some of the, the, the Hitler speech, which has the exact same like visual background with the giant flag in the background it's that oh, sort of wow. thing it's just yeah, like yeah. Uh, when, 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 when I watch it it's it, it, they're not leaving it 
open for interpretation in The Force Awakens. No. You'd think the Stormtrooper armor would have been at least upgraded in between the two eras, you know? Yeah. That's what I that's, that's Like something other than bright white? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although, I feel like the accuracy count for First Order Troopers is slightly higher. Well, you I, still had Hoth and Crate, so white still works. No, I, I absolutely think we're talking like upgrades in, in equipment and stuff. I, mm. I, I won't speak to the, the practice of collecting up children <laughs> and training them to be your troops, but I think there's... There was a renewed focus. I, the First Order absolutely took a look at the Stormtrooper Corps as the Empire took a look at the, the clone army and decided to make some upgrades there. You know, you could debate all day, I guess, the technicalities of the equipment. But I think the First Order's approach was, A, we're going to put loyalty first. We want unquestioning mm-hmm. soldiers that aren't going to pull like a Del Mico and question what's happening, uh, you know, the orders that they're being given. Um, that's why Hux is, you, when you watch that scene where he backhands Finn, uh, that carries so much weight because you know in that moment like he is the one crack in the system that's that's come out like Finn is the uh, the byproduct that's not supposed to happen yeah. with this the new remainder? system and, yeah. and like it, you, watch it watch it in conjunction watch it right after the Force Awakens when he and Kylo have the little spat aboard the uh, the final yeah the finalizer right after Finn goes AWOL and Kylo questions like the the clone the fitness of the clone yeah. soldiers oh right yeah. check out Jason so, Fry's uh, uh, Servants of the Empire book. It's really great. It goes into that a bit too. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if you haven't read Phasma, it's it's a really great insight toward the end of the book into the First Order training. I mean, I, I think they they took everything that the Empire used and and upgraded it, and you know maybe put an insane person in charge of that program. But I think they've they ended up with more ferocious soldiers for it. And that's the huge difference in the Force Awakens that we get to see that makes a, a huge distinction between the First Order, which is even kind of more extreme and more over the top and evil but we have the face of a stormtrooper that we're introduced mm. to in Finn. Yeah. So I'm so glad you brought up Finn and you talk a little bit about that perspective of like getting an insight on the on the everyman even if the everyman is part of this even more like crazy organization well you you also had you know you, you had Finn and and Frankly, I'm thinking about that the early scene where we kind of um, see Finn, you know, not shooting and so on. But right before that, when the dude puts the dude that's already injured somehow has blood and puts it on his helmet, right? And that's not yeah. something that's not something that you see with, um, say, on uh, indoor. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, those guys when they die, they just fall down and die. These guys are actually, you know, they're they're um, like you said, loyalty first, and they're trying to do the thing that they've been ordered to do because they've been ordered to do it, and they're loyal for really no other reason. But he's dying in pain, and like, and you can see that, and that's that's an yeah. interesting an interesting difference. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to take the second to say we're going to open up to some questions here, so feel free to line up here and ask a question. If you have more than one question, just hop in the back of the line so make sure everyone has a chance. But while we're lining up, uh, just a quick question. I'd like to look ahead a little bit to what we, we talked a little bit about lessons learned or maybe not learned by the First Order um, from the Empire. What lessons could they take forward moving into whatever might happen in Episode 9, where they are now after the last ship? Maybe don't put your entire, your entire like, capital in one ship. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> or on one planet with your entire fleet. 
they need a clear command structure so when Snoke dies, you don't have Hux and Kylo struggling to see who's in charge. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be any struggle at all. I think it's going to be Kylo saying. Yeah. And I cover acquisition, like I cover defense acquisition for as my day job. So like, don't just have one single place where you build ninety percent of your weapons. You know? <laughs> and, and it's a ship that's going yeah. into battle. Right. What, yeah. What, 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 Bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Dislocation is important in any military, and both sides in Star Wars seem to struggle with it a bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the I, I like the concept that yeah. Snoke was fearful of putting their base headquarters center of operations in on one planet and then it 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 took vice admiral holdo to completely detonate that plan with one hyperspace jump um i I like the concept of that i'm very curious and will be curious to hear on the speculation panel what folks think uh do they do they plant roots somewhere do they establish a base of operations because it's not going to be enough to just fly their fleet to, to different planets that used to be in the uh the republic or were unaffiliated and just bombard and send soldiers down they're gonna have to put some roots down places whether that's garrisons or headquarters so I don't know how that's gonna turn out and I guess for for mine I don't I don't think that the first order is going to learn because I don't think that Kylo is a particularly sane rational human who has it all together at this point so well listen you can listen to the his mature counterpart (laughs) (laughs) somewhere yes poor Captain Kennedy the only sane (laughs) first order and then his ship's being destroyed, and he's just like, oh. <laughs> I want that. I want that that picture of him with that face as a poster. Right, that would be awesome. <laughs> Put it on the side of my house. I have, I have seen those commanders. Uh, first uh, question. Uh, one thing I know you are talking a little bit about uh, the meritocracy versus uh, being uh, lorded over by incompetent twits. Um, one of the things that a uh, very strong repeated theme uh, for both the Empire and the First Order that's directly derived from their uh, obvious uh, fascist inspiration is the uh, redundancy of assignment. Um, so uh, kind of going back to like uh, the SA versus the SS and then the SS versus the Wehrmacht, um, like you've got uh, uh, Tarkin and Krennic, uh, Cardinal and Phasma. Uh, Cardinal, I love Cardinal. Like, like all of these overlapping assignments where it's not exactly clear from the leader like who has this assignment it's just sort of like I guess whoever does it better and if you happen to kick the other person in the dirt uh, I was wondering if y'all had any insight as as far as like how that uh, culture of management or mismanagement if you prefer um, actually uh, kind of serves to define the institution whether it's the first order or the empire that's an interesting it's an interesting observation because uh, you know in a, a company or whatever you'd have like a board You'd have a president, sure, but you'd have like a board, and they would vote, and make decisions. But in what you, I lost you. There you are. Um, where, <laughs> hello. Um, but it's it's like um, with the the pairings that you mentioned, they're not the the job is big enough to to have multiple people doing it, and it's like the Venn diagram kind of overlaps for their capabilities and their skills. So with with Hux and Kylo, I mean, yeah, I mean, Hux has got the loyalty of the of the entire military and whatever but Kylo's you know he's Kylo and 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 they they overlap some and it's going to be interesting to see it's always interesting to see what happens when part of it's gone and then this part of the job isn't being done that's an interesting good point I, and you made me think of that like the the fact that Kylo and Snoke like he is the 
direct line to the man upstairs. Mm -hmm. Like he has the privileged relationship, which is made obvious by the fact of like when um, Hux finally gets an audience with Snow yeah. one on one, and he's walking out. Kyle's walking in. And he's like, "Yeah, that's right. I talked to the that, big that's, <laughs> that's that's that smirk he gives. Yeah. Like yeah. our hyperspace tracking worked. <laughs> oh, Priceless. we're not getting into that. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Captain Kennedy wanted to launch the Tie Fighters five minutes ago. Mm. You know he. Did he five not? Bloody minutes. Five, five bloody, bloody minutes. minutes. Get it right, or literally. Pay the price. Bloody. I, he he had the biggest fleet in this, sh or he had the biggest ship in the fleet. He clearly was somewhere very very high in the rankings. Why couldn't he launch his own Tie Fighters? Because they they operate was, in this system. Yeah. This goes to the same question. They operate in a system where commanders don't have independent authority or ability to innovate to do. Uh, freedom of movement on the battlefield. I mean, you, you're never going to see this sort of thing in any functioning yeah. military. So he essentially yeah. couldn't do well, anything? Well, not, yeah. Not anything, but but you, you walk in and Huck, it's Hux's plan. This is Hux's right. baby. This is Hux's gift to Snoke. He's giving the, the resistance, and you know, on a plate of, as a pile of ashes to Snoke. That's his yeah. whole plan, Ooh, right? Yum. And... Kennedy, for his part, has to play the very specific role of bringing in the big gun and <laughs> launching fighters because you're worried about one little fighter. What is that? What message does that send? I'm not talking tactical exactly soundness. It, it signals weakness. Like they're paying attention yeah. to this puny fighter, and that's exactly why Hux is so angry. He comes over the hollow projector and he's like, "Why aren't you blasting that puny ship out of the sky?" And you get Kennedy's response. Gotcha. Yeah, well, it's also is, leadership. For, for both of these questions, you have centralized versus decentralized chain of command. Yeah. And this is where you see for both the Empire and the First Order where everything is way too centralized. You're not letting your experienced tactical experts on the field make the decisions. Your experienced NCOICs, your experienced officers who are leading in the field. Instead, you're waiting for that information to go all the way up to the top and make that decision. And when you have overlapping responsibilities, those two leaders should be able to work that out themselves to divide those responsibilities and, and together conquer them uh, and then if you have disagreements you take them to your leader who should who can make a decision on it versus in this case you see both command structures being like I'm gonna watch you fight it out and see who does best and that's like that's terrible for morale it's terrible for tactical decision-making yeah. Well, typically, like in the military, you're going to have at a tactical level, especially whether it's air combat or you know space combat, Star Wars. There's going to be very specific operating procedures when you're when you're operating a ship like that. So like that's the kind of thing that I would think of. Oh, that's that would be automatic. Is that you protect your ship with, with fighters? You're going to launch fighters yeah. in attack yeah. space. But that's the thing is like it's not like the first order seems to be operating on anything like that. It just seems to be like you here's here's the plan. We destroy them. You have the gun. Go get them. And there's probably the extent of the, the briefing. There's, there's a great example of this real life. If you've seen the, the show Band of Brothers from HBO, the, in the Battle of Bulge, Battle of the Bulge, there's a one of the, the best episodes of the, the entire show. Um, they make an assault on the town of Foy, and there's a, a questionable leader that's put in charge of this infantry assault. And Dick Winters, who's like the star sort of officer of the show, he's like the original leader of, of this army unit, he's watching with binoculars from the hill as they get tore to pieces as this officer makes poor decisions and just freezes. And he's, his first reaction is to run down and just take everything over. And he gets stopped by his superior officer that and reminded, like, that's not your role. Like, that's not your place to go down and do things. And they send somebody else in. So it's it's the same effect. It's just that 
they get it completely wrong. There's a really good book out. It's called Strategy Strikes Back. It's a it's it's superb. Um, one of the co-authors is uh, his name is Max Brooks. He wrote uh, World War Z. Ooh, and uh, shameless plug. I actually got to interview him for this Billway Banthas podcast. It'll be up very soon. So check this book out. It's got all, a lot of all what you were asking. A lot of questions about Star Wars and uh, yeah, Star Wars and, and leadership and how it relates to the real world as well. Yeah. Um, so you kind of mentioned how, um, like, to the average imperial citizen, it's just Chancellor Palpatine. He made the empire. He wasn't Darth Sidious or anybody. Um, but in Thrawn alliances, like Vader, just casually mentions how the empire could sense a disturbance in the Force, in the unknown mm-hmm. regions, like from the bridge of a star destroyer. Like he didn't seem to care about keeping that secret. So. Do you think if given the chance that Palpatine would have kind of created like a Sith religion like you saw in the Old Republic, like in the Empire at large? That's a good question. Or in the Clone Wars when, you know, he was trying to steal children. I, I think he's a big believer in the rule of two. The, I, I don't think he's he's out to create the religion so much because every time you see Palpatine in current canon do things where he's employing other force wielders apart from Vader, and really, even with Vader, like how is he using him? He doesn't treat Vader as an equal. He treats mm-hmm. Vader as a hammer. <laughs> and whether it's it's re- trying to recruit children or, or gra- steal children uh, during the Clone Wars, or again uh, with Project Harvester with the Inquisitors uh, these aren't supposed to be equals these are all supposed to be uh, minions Minions. that go out and do his bidding (laughs) so I I don't think he wants a religion because he wants a bunch of tools to help increase his own power (laughs) tools all who come to power are afraid to lose it yes that's good Y'all are Even way too tall. Huh? <laughs> okay. We're way too so, what? Y'all, all of y'all, way too tall. I'm a tiny person. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so the thing that's always personally bothered me is that Hux and Kylo Ren share co-command of a ship. That's insane. And I get... The, <laughs> right. And I get that the idea is Kylo is supposed to be doing, like, magical force woo-woo, and Hux is supposed to be doing, like, military stuff. That's Can we hashtag right, that? Exactly. Magical, magical force woo-woo. <laughs> that is mine. Wait, I copyrighted it. You cannot have it. Magical. <laughs> but they share the same resources, and they have completely different goals, and they hate each other. So I'm just curious what you guys think. Do you think it would have been meaningfully different if they had had, like, very differentiated roles, and it was, like, Ren and the Knights doing this thing, and Hux and the Stormtroopers doing this other thing so i think i think it's an it's a good question i think part of the reason that they hate each other is that they're constantly vying for snoke's admiration and attention i don't think that they necessarily would have hated each other maybe so because hux what are you gonna do um i mean i mean that guy's been red hair (laughs) yeah that is totally the reason why i forgot what i was gonna say (laughs) but but yeah i think i i'm not sure that um oh yeah i do remember um they so they are in charge of the whole effort the military effort each of those ships then had a captain of its own like kennedy for example i don't remember the name the name of the captain of the of um he was with hawks i think yeah that so you have a captain of that ship and yet what is that captain's job he's just supposed to make it do whatever hux says he reminds hux when he's being tooled with tool that's his that's That's our second use of tool in the last two minutes yes Uh, also it is kind of it reminds me of the sort of uh, vader tarkin dynamic where they seem to be pitted against each other and have Mm. somewhat overlapping Mm. roles with like who who's going to win the emperor and even even there even there there's a there it's not quite 
quite the same because Tarkin seems to have uh, some sort of authority over Vader, which is a weird thing, you know, if you watch all the other movies and then you go back and watch A New Hope. <laughs> yes, exactly. Holding Vader's leg. He's like, Lord Vader, let him go. And he says, as you wish. What? Since when does Lord Vader do what other people tell him to do other than, the, than Palpatine? Read the comics. There is, a, there is a great wow. panel. One of my favorite uh, panels in any of the comics is this one where a uh, an Imperial officer is talking to Vader and the substance is basically like, so like, what do we call you? Like, what's your <laughs> rank? And he's like, you may call me Lord Vader or something to that effect. And I was like, I also want this as a poster. <laughs> you may call me Lord Vader. really show, like, one of you was saying that he uses Vader as a hammer. Yep. That's very... I haven't read all of the Darth Vader arc, but that's very apparent in that. Yeah. All right. So we we've talked a lot about the the Empire and the First Order as like when they're using sort of like blunt force, like there's an enemy base here, we need to go attack that, or like there's a fleet, we need to destroy that. But uh, assuming that the New Republic has crumbled as much as uh, Episode Eight seems to imply, the the First Order is now going to have to shift from invasion into a sort of a counterinsurgency kind of role. And I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts about how qualified they are for that. Poorly. Very badly. Not, no. Yeah. <laughs> They're a blunt force instrument meant to squash everything, not to like go in on the ground, like do sort of special operations Surgical. kind of stuff. So exactly, yeah. No. Blunt go. force doesn't normally work on terrorist groups, so yeah. they're... They're in for it. They're, it's not. They can't. They need to come up with a better strategy. Um, with terrorism groups, a lot of times you need to use more soft power than hard power, which is definitely not um, something that they're great at. Go back to the screaming. At, we'll bow yeah. to the first order scene. Yeah. <laughs> look at just look at the real world. What's going on right now in the Middle East and. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, we're, we only have a couple minutes left, so I want to cycle through everyone, make sure we can do it. So we'll do quick rapid fire questions. For Thanks, Paula. Guys, and uh, then we've got to get Thank you. Yeah. Um, um, if the Starkiller base um, can throw its beam into hyperspace, it needs power to blow up a planet. So, how can it throw its beam into hyperspace? <sighs> Great question. Who could answer this question? You're hitting yeah. Science guy. Science guy. <laughs> that is a very astute observation. Did you also notice that you can see the beam overhead? Like they're all watching this thing go by. It's in hyperspace. How are you? I don't Lens know. Flare. It's it's they. The only way that they can do it is by harvesting the power of an entire sun, and then somehow I don't know. They, they talk about it somewhere. Yeah. The technology. I, I don't remember. Finn talks about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it's it's one of those Star Wars mysteries. Yeah. Like, how does the force work? Well, it does. <laughs> Good question. Thank you. Question. Oh, hello again. Um, one, one thing I did want to go back to is y'all were uh, arguing about whether, uh, as far as the style of regime, whether uh, one was more of like a imperial or fascist or anything like that. Uh, and the distinction I, I drew from uh, comparing the two, like, I mean, you've, you've definitely got the fascist regime, the the um, the right that will last a thousand years type thing with the empire. Like, that's absolutely what they're going for. Their perpetual peace through superior firepower and order and everything like that. Um, but it's a little bit different with the First Order because they don't actually have, like, a culture to speak of. They don't have a home world. Um, they're basically moving all around everywhere. They're basically like Sparta. 
where it's the city without walls. Yeah. Um, they're not leaving behind any statues or scrolls or anything like that. They don't really have like a big idea other than we should just win and we'll figure out all the other crap later. We got to destroy the resistance yeah. Yeah. and then we can do whatever else. Right, we're talking uh, real about fast, the last two. We're like super rapid fire. Thanks. And I didn't have a really quick question. Anyways, um, <laughs> okay, so and the Empire had a ton of resources, had a lot of technical advancement. The First Order, from what we know of it, did not have a centralized resource capability in order to do that, yet they seem to have innovated very tactically as well as technologically. Is it even possible what we know of both ideology, philosophy, and how governments work in political structures, even terrorist organizations, that such an organization could have existed to begin with with that sort of technological and tactical and innovation and advancement? I tried to say that very quickly. That was well done. Where's the money coming so, so one thing that we, we, we don't know a whole lot about Snoke, but we know that he's been active in politics and uh, like as a major figure with, behind the scenes in the world for years. So I would, I would lean back towards the First Order is, is not a new thing because you're, you're right, they couldn't have just appeared. Yeah. It takes money. They had to have found some, you know, planets who are who were either willing to acquiesce to them or who Word. liked what you know, who, who liked their, who liked the, what they were talking about to give to sell them the equipment. It's it's all about money. And if you're more, in, more interested more about that, check out, check out the Beltway Banthas podcast. They talk a lot about that. So. Last one. All right. So I came into the panel late, but at this, uh, I've heard you guys talking a lot about cool the costume structure. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, I've heard you guys talk a lot about the command structure of the Empire and the First Order. What would you think would happen if the First Order utilized the so-called Knights of Ren as Jedi generals did in the Republic? Ah. For instance, an entire droid battalion could be destroyed by just one Jedi general if placed tactically on the field. So that kind of brings into where did the Knights of Ren follow on the command structure of the First Order? This sounds like they? this sounds like one of those we could do an entire panel on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the, an yeah. excellent question. It's like the old like Gendy Clone Wars series, but like see Knights of Ren do what Mace Windu did. I, I <laughs> want this scene. I want this movie. So yeah, the problem with that, really quick, the, the problem with that is that you look if you look at the the Jedi Order, they were strung out all across the galaxy, and that's one of the things that made them weak was because yeah. they were strung out like that much, so much. So who knows? Yeah, exactly. So, who knows if if the Knights of Ren would have the same problems themselves? Ladies and gentlemen, we are out of time, but we do have giveaways. Uh, so let's uh, talk about how you call for number.